for your awards consideration, Hacks. The Emmy Award-winning Max Original Series, starring Gene Smart, explores a dark mentorship that forms between a legendary Las Vegas comedian and an entitled, outcast 25-year-old writer, played by Hannah Einbinder. Praised by Decider as a masterful, genius, and spectacular approach to comedy, the series dazzles as a display of beguiling chemistry between Smart and Einbinder, who the Chicago Sun-Times lauds as stunningly good together. Hacks is now streaming on HBO Max. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. I find it so liberating. I found it was it was the closest thing, and often again on long lenses. Like my my dream as an actor is being shot on long lenses <laughs> when you have no idea what they're catching, whether they're yeah. whether they're on you, whether they're on someone else, and it's the closest to playing a, a complete truth that you you can have. Welcome to In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. I am your host, backstage senior editor Vinny Mancuso. If you're listening to this episode live, you know we have somehow, again, against all odds, made it to December 2022. We are looking forward to not only a new year, but just over the horizon, God help us all, a brand new awards season. The SAG Awards, the Indie Spirit Awards, and of course, the Oscars. So of course, In the Envelope is going to be sitting down with some of the biggest names in the hunt this year for those wins, uh, and that includes today's guest, of course, Eddie Redmayne, who is gaining Oscar buzz for his performance across from former guest Jessica Chastain in The Good Nurse. His very, very scary performance in The Good Nurse. Uh, If you still haven't checked it out, uh, it is the chilling, chilling true story of Charlie Cullen, a a nurse responsible for an untold amount of deaths over 16 years. Uh, It's horrifying. And Redmayne takes on the role and is just remarkably, remarkably unnerving, but impressively so. Uh, It's an incredibly subtle incredibly scared performance. Check it out. Uh, We dug into the performance, of course, uh, and everything that came with it, uh, but we also somehow talked about a lot more than that, uh, from Jupiter Ascending to Cabaret Live uh, to the theory of everything, uh, the currently in limbo Fantastic Beasts franchise. Uh, We just covered a lot of ground. It is a wonderful chat with a wonderful actor. Let's get into it. Here is Eddie Redmayne. Eddie, how are you doing? Uh, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Mate, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really well. I'm thrilled to be in New York. It's um, festive and chilly, and it's uh, one of my favorite places at one of my favorite times of year. So. 
Are you here for professional reasons, personal reasons? I mean, pleasure. Or... I'm a, a, a mixture of the two, actually. So yeah, a bit of um, a bit of uh, work and a bit of pleasure. But it's um, I don't know what it is. There's something sort of. I think it's you know having watched all those movies as a kid, being in New York at, at Christmas time or the lead up to to the holidays is so special. Yeah, I mean, I've lived in I've lived in California and New York, and I just I don't think anything beats New York. You know, from like Thanksgiving to Christmas. I completely agree, and I'm still one of those people that's never. I, I once had a hot Christmas when I was making a film in Australia. Yeah, and and I and I found it very odd, and and I'm yet to reconcile barbecues with Christmas. I can't stand a hot Christmas. I really yeah. <laughs> can't. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm so excited to talk about so much, but you know, top of the list is uh, the good nurse. Uh, congratulations on a on a truly chilling performance. Uh, just really, Thank really you. incredible stuff. Um, I'm really excited to get into it. But I also do want to back up a bit to get a sort of look at, you know, your entire career and all that. And, uh, you know, I was looking, you know, doing research for the interview, looking up things from the past. And I did find a uh, an IMDb list of your, your favorite films from 2014. Wow. Um, and your number one, your number one choice was Disney's Robin Hood. Uh, and yeah. I'm curious if the, does that opinion still hold? Is that something that's changed over the years? I mean, I <clears throat> I don't know whether it would be. I, I always find the rating of films such an odd thing, anyway, and it's something that I'm quite often asked to do. And but as far as like having an effect, as far as the sort of it, Robin Hood is a film that I just adored, and I think like the it was a complete escapism as a child. I found all the characters so kind of. Um, colorful and filled and 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 now like years and years later i've shown it to my kids and you now kind of respect the voice performances in it uh-huh. just extraordinary they're through the roof and um yeah and and so they there's something that was so tangible about each of those characters and i've i've attempted doing voice work um for for cartoons and stop motion stuff and it's so much easier said than done so uh, it does remain like yeah, that character Hiss, the snake in it, is, is one of the great, great characters. I, and the I, music, the music. Ugh. I think this Brilliant. list from 2014, there was like a, a, a sentence for each movie, and I'm pretty sure you wrote how much, the, the, what you chose to write is how much you love Hiss, the snake. In the, in there you that. go. There you go. So uh, basically well, Disney, nothing's changed. Yeah, I love that. I mean, Disney's doing these live action remakes. You never know. We could get your name out there. I know, but you also want to be careful because you never want to sort of, I think you have to be wary of being in something that you're like a massive fan of. Yeah, do, do you know what I mean? You don't want to go. You don't want to go and butcher that memory. Then so. the, the, it's it's kind of hanging over your head. <laughs> the, exactly, the exactly. Uh, it's untouchable that movie. But I did I did hear that they were doing it and was trying to picture what that would be like in live action. You know, <laughs> it would just um, be a Robin Hood movie. Yeah, movie, yeah, hot foxes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, are you someone? You know, I ask this a lot of a lot of our guests because you know it is what we ask our guests to do. Um, are you someone? Who reflects a lot? Someone who who looks back on accomplishments on your career, or is that something you don't tend to do? No, I definitely throughout since since I started, I've always had this thing of I don't know what it, whether it's a sort of neurosis from having not gone to drama school or, or trained and ending up doing a job that you didn't feel like you were given a certificate to do. I know that sounds absurd, but. Um, I've always had this paranoia about learning from 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 what you what you do, learning from the people around you. The, where the early days that was the actors, um, and now more and more it's the crew. Um, but but I've always watched the stuff I'm doing. I've always quite enjoyed watching rushes. And in the early days, it was essential because I had no idea what I was doing. And and I and 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 the purely some of the sort of more technical elements. Just no one. 
on a film set, no no one wants to be rude and tell you those things. But certainly on my first film, I was sort of, you know, projecting to the back of the stalls, mm-hmm. having only done theatre and. Um, and but I then don't. So I, I will watch films, and uh, as much as a director wants me to be, I will be part of the process in, in the edit and watching, you know, assemblies and giving feedback if if, if they want it. I, I always want to give as much as I can to the point that I can't until the film is locked because there is like doing acting in film is or television is fundamentally well there's an element of dissatisfaction because mm-hmm. it, it never fulfills quite how you pictured it in your in your head or and 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 so what you always want to do is I, I find is do as much as I can to really make it clear well basically so that you don't beat yourself up too much when you see the final thing mm-hmm. um, and then but for years I haven't really watched it back but this year whilst promoting The Good Nurse there have been a couple of events that I've gone to where they've done reels of of, of moments of different things and it's so interesting to watch that stuff back because you for me it's about where you are in your life That's mm-hmm. the, it's the memories of the film of the set and all of that stuff come flooding back rather than the the work itself I suppose that's that's interesting because you know I, I I get the, the answer of the answer to the question do you watch your own performances I get you know we get the wide range of answers from people who mm. absolutely will not so I'm curious you know when you're either watching you know even dailies or the finished performance what are you looking for what is something that you're you're specifically trying to see in your own performance that either helps or you know hurts or anything like that um, it depends honestly there have been some films I've done that. There were really intricate technicalities. So, for example, playing Stephen Hawking in the Theory of Everything, so much of, I suppose, the technical rather than the emotional side of that performance was about things like movement, the specificity of the disease, checking that I was getting that right because I'd spent a lot of time with um, families and, and family members of people living with that disease, and that felt important. But But also it was... To do with proportion, for example, as Stephen got older, um, you know, he, he he almost sort of shrunk, and we were using things like oversized clothing or sort of prosthetic knee pieces that went underneath the clothes to make him look more bony. Because I couldn't, we weren't shooting it chronologically, so I couldn't really oscillate in weight and those things. So, so, and it was often about camera angles, whether whether that likeness was caught or not. And so, on that film, it was very particular to that. Um, Similarly, in the, in the Danish girl, and then um, and sometimes I find it, you know, watching things back is you can tell what film you're in, mm-hmm. and and I'm not saying that it, it's not something I'll do after every take necessarily, but certainly on the Good Nurse, for example, uh, Tobias Lindholm, our brilliant director, and and Jessica Chastain and I had spent a month sort of rehearsing and prepping, and and we talked it through with quite a lot of intricacy, and then. I remember doing the first scene of the film and and it was this scene of me that there was a code and I had to sort of deal with it. And Tobias shot it on this very long lens from back in the corridor and, and, and Jodie Lee Lipes, the cinematographer, had lit it very, very dark. And, and it was just this gentle zoom that went on for about sort of five minutes while I watched what was going on. And it was, it was so interesting because after having watched that take... After after we had done you know a run of those you mm-hmm. know Tobias said do you want to do you want to have a look back and 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 it gave me a sense of the movie I was in when I saw that I saw what Tobias and Jody's vision for the piece was and then I I don't think I, I didn't watch a huge amount um, from then on in the film because I I sort of trusted them and I needed the it it, it, it was less of a technical um, performance but mm-hmm. um, yeah so it does it does shift depending on the piece. 
what's been the sort of uh of the projects you've done the widest gulf between you know what you what you thought was the the what what film you thought it was in in the preparation process versus what it what it was when you got to see what the entire vision was for the piece what a great question um truth is it was jupiter ascending which was uh, a film that i did with the wachowski Mm -hmm. um siblings and the reason was is because because when i read the script i had it, it was so insane and brilliantly drawn and so in their imaginations that I could basically never imagine what it was going to be. So, yeah. so it's not that it was different to how I imagined it. It was mm-hmm. just, it was just, it's that nobody it was, can imagine was, what the Wachowskis are thinking. Exactly. Yeah. It was as, and, and I, and I love that. And I, I find it so extraordinary when you go to the cinema and you just, your jaw drops with, with people's vision. Um, mm-hmm. w- whether it works or not, when someone takes like a sort of massive punt and it doesn't seem sort of derivative and it comes from something completely new. Um, but I did learn from that because, uh, particularly going into the Fantastic Beast movies, that when you're working in a world of green screen, you do actually need quite specific knowledge of what's surrounding you. you know, yeah. the, um, and, and, and that, but that was, that was a good learning lesson for, for heading off into the world of CGI. I love that, I, and you know, I've 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 always said that if I got to interview, I would tell you this. I I genuinely really love your Jupiter Ascending performance. Um, that, that is like, very kind. I um, you know, I when, when I'm in this when I'm in this you know in this job, you know, we watch so so many movies that you, you, you any performance that uh feels like something you haven't seen before, mm. you, you learn to appreciate it. It, it. It's 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 almost like you watch so many performances that are that are good in the way that you've seen that that anything that stands out. I, I, I will always, always respect. So I'm, I'm very happy. You know, I had an amazing time doing it as well. I was just sort of, it was a real dive into, into the imagination. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I know it was quite intense for Mila and for, um, Channing. They were, they were in every day, but I was, the thing that I'll never forget about that film is I was basically on, um, paternity leave cover so mm-hmm. i was i was playing the baddie and i wasn't really in many scenes with channing so so and he was his um then wife was about to have a, a baby and and i was basically there doing sit-ups for months because my character was meant uh-huh. to be incredibly vain and uh was topless most of the things so i was just and i'd be there and i was waiting for the day that channing got the call from the hospital saying that his wife's having a baby and then i went in to do my um to do my work um and and it and it was uh, uh but it was and it and we did all the scenes back to back on these like mm-hmm. cavernous stages of greenery and with with like an amazing one of the actors was on sort of stilts with dots all over his head i, <laughs> I just had never experienced anything like that i had yeah. just come from sort of you know the odd english period drama and when i saw it I, it was definitely it was a it was a sort of like a sort of disco on steroids I love that, and you know that that kind of reminds me of what you, even what you said about the good nurse. How you know that everything that was affecting you in, in terms of the lighting, you know, the cinematography, the slow zoom. I am curious. Mm. You know, it's something that a lot of people don't think about in terms of specifically screen acting. In all of your preparation and all the rehearsal for the scene, how do you factor in the cinematography itself? Because you know, I think about the good nurse. You know, it's a lot of shadows, a lot of you know, mm. a, a, a lot of sort of those slow zooms. At mm. what point in your in your performance process, do you factor in, oh, like literally that's where the camera is going to be. That's where the camera is going to end up. Cinema, do you know what? It's not something that you can ever tell really until, until those first camera tests. Mm-hmm. And, and more and more I find as I work, those, those moments of, 
camera tests in which everyone's trying everything, whether it's the makeup department, the lighting department, the you know all of the the intricacies. I, there used to be things where, as an actor, you would stand there and sort of. It's an odd thing. You kind of stand there and you try and do a little bit of something so that you, they don't fire you. Um, they, you know, everyone's looking because everyone's mm-hmm. flipping nervous and they've put all this investment in it. But I've now tried to make camera tests be something in which I can play and and see what 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 world the, the film is in. I like to see those rushes and kind of work from. So Jody in in the Good Nurse, it was it was extraordinary. He he worked. He shot in virtual pitch black darkness. I mean that, that's slightly extreme, but but it really was do- substantially darker than it appears in the film. Mm-hmm. And. Um, he would then open these apertures, I think, and and it would look much lighter on screen than it was. But it did give this thing, which I've never had before, which is almost the entire crew were in darkness. So when I was playing opposite Jess, it really was only her that I could see. Mm-hmm. And and it, I found it so liberating. I found it was it was the closest thing, and often again on long lenses. Like my my dream as an actor is being shot on long lenses <laughs> when you have no idea what they're catching, whether they're yeah. whether they're on you, whether they're on someone else, and it's the closest to playing a a complete truth that you you can have. And um, and I, 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 Tobias was an extraordinary director, but something also about the kind of crepuscular quality of of the filming it made everyone very quiet. Um, on the wards, um, it, it everyone's attention was really focused, and it gave you the capacity to to play without feeling too judged. Is there almost a, a, a theaterish quality to something like that, or, or is that or is it well, a completely I, different experience? I, I would say it's even it's even better than theater because you don't you're not it, it's not nothing's being projected mm-hmm. you know nothing's being it's it's actually the closest to a reality i've ever had so it's um, it's like the opposite of, <laughs> of the yeah other. yeah yeah in some ways um but no I've, i i i've i found it so um special that's um, interesting but but as far as cinematography and and other the other technical elements again it was theory of everything that changed that for me because mm-hmm. there there was a moment in theory of everything when Stephen can't climb up the stairs anymore. And the thing with ALS is that you have to stay ahead of the disease. So the architecture of the house you're living in, once you can't go up the stairs, you need to move your bed downstairs. And mm-hmm. and, and staying ahead of the disease is always something. And it was one day while we were prepping theory that I went and looked around the production office and saw lots of the designs for the sets. And suddenly I, I sort of saw this upstairs set that they would and I was like wait no but we he can't actually climb those stairs or there was a bunk bed and he can't mm-hmm. climb that anymore so uh, I realized that if I turned up on the day it would have caused a total fuss to go oh no we can't actually shoot mm-hmm. this because it doesn't marry with what the disease is and, and what that did was it made me realize that those rehearsal periods or those periods before shooting it, 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 quite often on film sets just because the amount of work departments are kept separate but the more that you can go and just gain insight into what it is the more ideas you can come with on the day ultimately Mm -hmm. whether it's you know props or um costume uh, i try and try and get ahead of all that so that so that there's always something surprising on the day but if you can uh, because you only have such a limited period on camera to mm-hmm. to find ideas, it's 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 for me good to have some sort of a bit of a runway. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, you know, it's it's funny. I've seen you. I've seen you mentioned before that 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 if you had to describe your you know quote unquote process, it would be you know the research, a lot of prep, uh, like you said, a long yeah. runway. I'm curious, you know, when it crystallized for you 
that that was what works for you you know did, did you try other things throughout you know the earlier period did you try other methods or was it more of like a you know gathering things as it, as mm. it went along accumulating it was well there was one moment uh, uh, when i was doing a play a play by the brilliant christopher shin called now or later um which i did at the royal court many years ago and and um dominic cook directed it and dominic then i don't know if he still does but w- worked with intentions so he we would sit down as a cast and we would you know provide intentions for every single sentence and i and i found it rigorous and i found it thrilling and i found it frustrating and i found it but it but it but it was brilliant in the sense that by the time you were playing the piece none you'd forgotten what those intentions were but mm-hmm. but they were embedded somewhere and it meant that there was no fat you know the whole thing was just like lean and um, there, there was no sort of waste. And I found that was a very important moment for me because I don't intention everything I do now, but, but if I'm struggling, that's what mm-hmm. I'll always, um, look to. But the, the thing about the, like, long runway or having prep time, let me just, like, be absolutely clear. That is total privilege. Like, that's that, yeah. that and that, and it came from the theory of everything when I was cast in that. And our wonderful director, James Marsh, said, Eddie, by the way, this does kind of live or die in your performance, so what do you need? And I went, <laughs> almost <laughs> dry like, I really need everything. And, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then I did kind of go, like, you know what, I, for once, rather than as actors, we're so used to just like, going, oh, it's fine, I'll, I'll, don't worry, you don't, I don't, you know, sort of, you don't want to be difficult. Um, going, okay, well, I think this is what I need. I need prep time. I need... Um, someone specific to work on the movement as- aspect with me, someone specific to work on the vocal aspect. And I need time to go and research, you know, and, um, and he gave me that. And, and, and because the process was so rewarding and because the film went well, ultimately, uh-huh. it, it allowed me to be able to, to a certain extent when I can, and this isn't to, to a production, this is to me go like, I, I'm not an actor that can jump from, go from one job into the other like it just things like accent i'm not one of those actors that can just sort of drop into an accent it, i have mm-hmm. to start very musically and then and and months before so that by the time i'm working it's it is effortless um and you can improvise you know for your awards consideration house of the dragon the reign of house targaryen begins in this hbo original series starring patty considine matt smith olivia cook Reese Ifans and Emma Darcy. IndieWire calls the performances superb acting. Don't miss the series Entertainment Weekly calls gorgeous and flat out stunning. House of the Dragon is now streaming on HBO Max. Your last theater role was the, the Olivier Award winning MC in Cabaret, which is also a role that you played at 17, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about, you know, what returning to the same role that, that you know, with with so much time in between, what did that teach you about, you know, those years in between and, you know, wh- where you've come from? Just sort of slipping back into that thing with that much time in between. God, that is such a good question. <laughs> um, and it's quite, I suppose this year has been a bit emotional in in that sense, in that, like, it was the thing, I listened to Counter and Neb's Cabaret when I was 15, I think it was, and... And it, they were doing it at the school, and I was cast as the MC, and I knew nothing what I was. I had no idea what I was doing. It was mm-hmm. pure instinct, and I just loved it. And I, 
it was the thing that my parents saw and went, and they don't come from this industry at all. And it was then then that they sort of began to take seriously that might be. So so it was pure instinct then. It was, and and my mum found a video of it somewhere the other day and showed, and it was so interesting. While I was, it, this was when I was halfway through the run, and mm-hmm. and to see back what those instincts were versus where it, where it was now. But then what happened was. So this, I did it at school when I was 16, and then I did it at the Edinburgh Festival, I think, when I was 18, which mm-hmm. was a different production. And at the Edinburgh Festival, it had been, there was this venue there that, you know, you, I, when you go to Edinburgh, you rent a venue, and, mm-hmm. and this venue had just started that year, and it was called The Underbelly, and it was lots of tiny little rooms in a, underneath a bridge in, in Edinburgh. And the guys who had set up this venue uh, called, the, called The Underbelly it became their great business and it was and they they were producers and run comedy festivals and and theater festivals and so about 6 7 years ago one of the producers came up to me and said Ed, would you ever consider doing this again and i'd always dreamt of it because mm-hmm. um I, f- I think there's something placeless about that character that's so intriguing and yeah. but i sort of thought on it and then i thought of all the brilliant productions that i'd seen and 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 then I thought of Jessie Buckley and Jessie, I just watched her work and her really unique career path that had started with a talent show aged 18 mm-hmm. on British television. And then rather than go straight off and become a West End star, which she could have done, she went back and trained. And then I'd watched all her theatre as she started and then seen her great film work. And, and she has this extraordinary voice mm-hmm. um, and but complete sort of gut and and visceral sort of instinctive perform that I so I, was, I called up Jessie out of the blue and asked her if she would um consider doing it and 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 she she said yes and so the two of us together found our brilliant director Rebecca Fracknell and this is a long way of saying when I came back to it it was amazing but I had this odd thing of sort of having well I d- d- described it as I had r- real imposter syndrome for a bit mm-hmm. because there was a bit of a backlash about um, or I've heard quite clearly a, a backlash about my playing the character, um, and I so and I felt like the stakes were very high. It's like, oh, you've produced this thing, and you mm-hmm. so who do you think you are, kind of thing. And I felt that because the answer is, who was I? Like I'd done this, I'd enjoyed it when I was seventeen, uh-huh. you know, but like, but suddenly I was doing it in the West End, and they were transforming theatres, and they were spending a, you know, we really wanted to do it differently. Um, and so there, there was definitely a massive confidence crisis. But the, the way in this time for me was by this extraordinary woman called Julia Cheng, who's an amazing choreographer and dancer. And she and I started, similar to what I was saying before, the process, she and mm-hmm. I started working six months before rehearsals. And we would just go and work together with Rebecca Franklin, our director, and, and she would rather than choreographing me, we just would work on movement and she would see how I moved. And we did these workshops with all these multidisciplined dancers and, 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 and really investigated it so that by the time we started rehearsing, I felt, if not confident, I felt like able to be in a room with these mm-hmm. exceptional movers. And uh, yeah. That is absolutely, I, 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 I can't think of a more, I don't know, intimidating just role you know that 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 character to me has always been like i i don't know it, it, there's there's something like you said timeless and and uh enigmatic about it in a different way than than anything yeah. else well i had a thing on it like i had an idea or, uh, about him that which was to do with shape-shifting mm-hmm. you know and that he 
had access to this world and to these people and he was at one with them but also on top of them and probably abusive and then also manipulating them but he could shape shift his yeah. way out of the situation so that by the end when the world is um when it's going inc get incredibly dark he has the privilege to be able to mm -hmm. put on a suit and and walk you know and 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 shapeshift his way out of the situation whereas the people in the, his club don't have that possibility and so so i, I had a sort of a, an idea i suppose which felt slightly different to the versions that i'd seen if 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 i'm looking at you know the the schedule correctly was was cabaret your next project after wrapping the good nurse it was. I can't was, think of yeah. uh, two <laughs> diametrically different uh, men, characters, uh, approaches. So I, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you know, navigating not only the switch between, because, you know, th you do have a, a little bit of time in between there, but just navigating not only the switch between characters, but the switch from uh, between theater and, and, and film and, and, you know, how you're, how you're putting all that together in that in-between time. Um, well, the first thing was I was totally regalvanized by the good nurse. Jessica mm -hmm. Chastain is an extraordinary actor mm -hmm. and a formidable person and a real optimist. Like she is, yeah. she is fucking brilliant and she is confident and strong and any sort of moments of doubt I had she was so galvanizing and I kind of got bored of doubt basically through <laughs> it slightly um and and Tobias Lindholm had reinvigorated my love of film really through through um pushing me allowing space in takes to not feel sort of rushed or really really looking after us and 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 allowing us that freedom that, that the thing that i dream of as an actor which is when a director goes great we've got it now do one just go play mm -hmm. like and and that, that 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 um so after that i knew i was about to start these workshops for cabaret and i'd fallen back in love with with what what we do and i'd always dreamt of going to this school in Paris called Lecoq, which is a <clears throat> physical theater mm -hmm. school. Some friends of mine when I was at university had gone there and and I looked up on their website and they have these like one, two week courses and uh, for practitioners. For, and um, there was one on the theater of the absurd. I, I basically wanted to keep pushing myself in mm -hmm. outside of my comfort zone. I wanted to, to be able to humiliate myself. I wanted to arrive in the 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 rehearsal room at Cabaret without feeling feeling like I could try and fail at anything without without being I'd be able to make a fool of myself without it, it mattering uh -huh. and I was like why not go to Paris and do physical <laughs> theatre which I've never done you know like, yeah. um, and so I got into this place and, and it was an amazing week or two uh, with actors aged sort of 18 to 60 from all over the world which mm -hmm. was wonderful like seeing you know we forget that we're so used to our our the way it works mm -hmm. in our countries that actually it's so inspiring to you know i was just in germany and 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 then in switzerland and seeing how theater is so important that each town has a kind of the, the theater is almost the hub of the place or dance similarly and anyway at this uh this place which is this sort of 19th century boxing ring huge gymnasium and and with these french um teachers these two doyens sort of teachers who who were extraordinary but also would would tell you no quite often when when you've been acting for a while and it's gone well people stop being 
gripping you slightly you know mm-hmm. they go just do do your thing you know yeah. and, and whereas these ladies quite in, very quickly we were having to sort of improvise with people you've never met before in french and um which and i you know speak very bad french and and it was and you do a, a, you do an improv and they go not so much but no 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 <laughs> but but they were but they did it to everyone so you were learning from watching other people and then they would galvanize you in the best way and and it really did help that experience i would then because I'd left my my wife and children at home, I felt I was feeling like I've really got to make use of this time in Paris. Mm-hmm. And and in the evening, I'd be or the afternoons, I'd be you know researching film from the Weimar Republic, and, and Rebecca Frecknell and I were texting back images, and Tom Scott, the designer. So it was a time of real immersion that that again made me arrive in the rehearsal space feeling full. Mm-hmm. Is that something that um, you know happens not not often, but has happened to you a few times where, you know, you just need a a, a reminder or even like a, a boost in a new direction where you've sort of been been doing something similar for a while? Is that something that's happened to you often in your career? Or was this like a a major moment for you? Um, it was quite a major moment, honestly, because I think what it was was about also making work that's not to be seen. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like when when you're when you're when you're being taught or you're doing improv and I know lots of actors go to acting coaches or to class and it's not such a thing in the UK class like mm-hmm. it, um but it's why for example quite often in in London I'll do workshops of plays um and and I love because it, it's again a way of of working that that is the, the process and and I'll be honest with you that that's the bit I enjoy the, like a rehearsal room is my happiest mm-hmm. place like I would um I, I would, you know, and and so getting to do some of that is without without no without the work having to be finished or complete. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask you a few specifics about uh, the good nurse. Uh, just starting with, is this is this a role that you auditioned for? Is this a role that that you came to? It's not. Yeah, no. It's a it's a part that I was sent a script by my then agent Alain Rusbly, um and he was really passionate about Tobias and he was um and I read this script and I saw Tobias's work and I was blown away by Tobias's work he mm-hmm. was he was a filmmaker with a, a take on the world and I was desperate to be in in some I was desperate to work with someone who had a real a vision mm-hmm. and the film Christy Wilson Cairns' script as I read it like it just it refused to be boxed it it on the one hand you know the the kind of above the title thing is oh true crime mm-hmm. yeah but but it, it it actually was something more co- sort of confusing than that it was it was really a story about jessica's character of this extraordinary woman who was able to stop this man from doing horrific things where the system failed it was an expose of a system but it was at its core it was also a character piece about two mm-hmm. f- two friends really and and the fact that it refused to be boxed and the idea of that material in Tobias's hands was instantly intriguing. Tobias flew over. He, I think he had asked Jess to do it and he was sort of thinking about various people and he and I got on very well. Mm-hmm. It very quickly came together and then it completely disintegrated as it moved from studio. This was six years ago. So yeah. it yeah. moved from studios and then Tobias was busy and then Jess was better and our schedules, it was def- there was a moment when we were like, will this film yeah. ever get made? And um, we all all three of us or four of us with Christy our writer as well feel so thrilled it did because 
it was just despite the subject matter a really um like scintillating experience mm -hmm. for all of them i have to imagine you know this is a, a difficult character because for i don't know 95 percent of it you you absolutely can't show a side of him you can't you, you can't give anything away which is which I'm, I'm curious how you how you navigate that you know physically in your prep process how are you how were you approaching this character where his entire life is hiding <laughs> yeah his, who he is basically well i was worried about that until i read the book mm -hmm. and and there is this book called the good nurse by charles graber that the last it's not i suppose the last sort of quarter third is our movie story but the, the rest of it is this meticulously detailed mm -hmm. description and biography of charlie's upbringing and, and it just it, it was an actor's dream because there 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 he was like there was the character mm -hmm. and, and 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 in all the intricacies from psychological reports to descriptions of physicality to you know ap actual transcripts of some of these scenes and um and and also there was amazing footage and but then when I was speaking to the real Amy Lochran, the character that Jess plays, uh, and we spoke probably a month before we started filming, she described how this man was kind, mm -hmm. incredibly loyal, funny, self-deprecating, and how he saved her life. And then she described that there was another human being who she met just twice. Mm -hmm. Um and she described it as a disassociative personality. She said it was um, that something happened to his eyes. One eye drifted off, and he was it was empty, like a vessel, and and they're arrogant and and sort of truculent. And and but that 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 idea of him being it being disassociative, it being two people, was was the in for me because before I've been trying to marry up these the, these moments. Go, oh, I've mm -hmm. got to. There has to be a chord between. And when she said that it the appearance was two different people even though i knew i was going to be creating one person it freed me up to invest truly in the friendship mm -hmm. and and never for, for me not to sort of give signs and and quite a few of the scenes even if they're the tense ones the tension actually doesn't or, or if he appears creepy like it, it, that's purely circumstance mm -hmm. that, that creates that that's purely tobias's framing of it rather than you know i was never I never went into a scene playing the intention of creepy. You the know, audience the, is sort yeah. of waiting. The audience is like looking for it, and it never yeah. comes. That's what that's what's creepy about it. Is is, is, is you yeah. don't get it. Yeah, and and the particularly like for example that scene. There's a scene when Amy's got a, knows now that Charlie's done this thing, and she comes mm -hmm. home from work, and Charlie's at her home with her children, mm -hmm. and she, her intention is to get him out the house, and um in the playing of it again it's filled with tension but actually charlie's just playing sort of affection for her mm -hmm. and this moment when she she plays into his narcissism as it were and what's interesting is you get a glimpse of you know she's like you've done so much for me you've saved my life. and rather than him being like no 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 he's like yeah <laughs> and, you know like you suddenly this and, and that 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 for me was an electric sort of but 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 he's really trying to care for her, and actually that's all he is doing in the in the in in that scene is trying to comfort, you know. But it it appears as something much more sinister. I do want to ask about uh, two specific scenes. One of them being the the scene in the diner uh, with just you and you and Jessica, where yeah. it's it's sort of is the closest in front of her, where it's the closest where he comes to 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 something switching over. But then it's immediately yeah. 
immediately pulled back in. So I, I'm curious about yeah. that, that reining it back in and what that means to you in terms mm. of, you know, what you were, were hoping to get across. Mm. Well, that scene was, um, it was what they were, we'd done a lot of work on the, the arc of the, the piece, mm-hmm. but Jess and I and Tobias had decided never to touch from that scene on because it was a lot of Christie's words from there had been taken from transcript mm-hmm. and also that it, but how she had managed to condense it and add to it was so beautifully crafted that it didn't, we didn't want to, we didn't want to, we wanted to see what arrived on that mm-hmm. day. Tobias allowed me to drive into that scene, even though you never saw the car for most of it. He, every take, I'd, I'd, I'd be allowed the long drive in, mm-hmm. which would, um, even if we were in close up and stuff, you know, the intention in that scene was he believed or, or Amy believed that that was the only time he ever felt it was something romantic when she mm-hmm. sort of went out for him. There was a sort of, so he's slightly sort of dressed up and obviously he's off to his, his new job, but it's, it's all playful for him until, mm-hmm. until the moment that he, she says to him, I wouldn't care if you'd done it. And it's, it's the knowledge that she's lying that breaks him and, um, and, and turns him and this thing that's described in the book and described by Amy of one eye kind of drifting off mm-hmm. uh, happens. And it, but actually, what that was about was just reclaiming the time and the space. And and a lot of the rest of that the film is about someone this 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 broken child being um, found out and exposed and trying to retain power. Um, and so as soon as I'd had that moment with Jess, it was about just taking my own time, pulling the scene into my own rhythm and and leaving when I wanted to leave and trying to show her that she's had no effect. There absolutely is something very, uh, I actually hadn't noticed it until you said that, the very, something very childish about the, you know, hand on the table and then just complete withdrawal. There's something very childlike yeah. about that. It was interesting because age seven, he was abused by his... Mm-hmm one of his siblings partners and he tried to kill that person a, a with with i think it was with um lighter fluid and when that failed he tried to kill himself with a, a chemistry set and but the idea of abused child i wanted and that you've got tiny glimpses as an audience of seeing this this frail little little boy was was important to me amazing so as we i, I think i have one minute left here so i did want to ask you yeah. one one question about fantastic beasts um not 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 in terms of like you know what the future is or anything like that I, yeah I just, i'm just curious you know as an actor uh what the experience is like having a character like that that kind of um exists apart from you you know you like you leave him for mm. a while you come back to him mm. uh he's he he's out there you know it, it's just yeah i'm curious what that is what that's like as an actor you know even even now where it's like we don't even know when you'll meet him again yeah so i'm just curious yeah. what that's like for you as an actor honestly complicated you know, it's. Um, I, I signed on to these films from having read the first script, and there are always when you were on set on the first film, there'd always be stories about what the future story was going to be. But then we were often kept in the dark about. It. You don't really on a, on films of that scale, mm-hmm. you don't have much input into the the trajectory. It's um, that's all in Joe's mind, and um, and so. You, you wait to see what you're given, honestly. Um, but you do feel like you sort of... Um, I, I, I adore him so much, and I love, I love being in his skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
but you have no idea where it's going to go. <laughs> and um, and uh, uh, but it it it, it is an, it does feel strange, a sort of treading water quality, mm-hmm. and you, when you have no idea if there's a resolution or I know that he ends up married in Dorset to Tina, played by Catherine Waterston, and. Uh, Dorset's a very beautiful part of the world, so he ends up happy. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Well, Eddie, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, This was fascinating. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. I so enjoyed it, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage. Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at InTheEnvelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next to let us know? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.